the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Wow, was that not stunning yesterday? I did the first couple hours of the market. Yeah, it was lower, but it wasn't that. We dropped big, we rallied back, and then I go to the gym and I do some lunch, and we're down 500. I take a bite of salad, we're down 600. I take another bite of salad, we're down 700. I'm like, I'm going to stop taking bites of salad. Another bite of salad, down 800, 900, 1200. All within like 15 minutes, just this big whoosh down to 1600. So basically, I stayed up all night and uh, watched foreign markets and was trying to pay attention to see if there was a flash crash coming or what you know the problem was or if this problem was going to grow hair. And it's not. Um, the employment numbers are too good. The inflation numbers are a little bit warm, but not hot. Um, a lot of bad things happened yesterday. So basically, January was a hot and sexy month. 2017 was a hot and sexy year. And in that period of 13 months, we hadn't gone down 3%. So when we started to, some people had made bets, like uh, insurance, that things were going to continue to go higher, and they got burned. So we needed that sell-off after spiking 8%, which started the year. We needed that whoosh down to get rid of people who were too complacent. Wells Fargo, one of the biggest banks in the world, was hammered yesterday after the Fed sanctioned them. That was bad news. A global sell-off that escalated from Japan to Europe to the United States to Japan to Europe to the market opened down big this morning. People got wiped out. Some margin players, they got their calls yesterday. The trades went through. They sold at a low. We rallied huge. Is that not nuts? Are we back to this market goes higher to uh, the market in utopia? It, it feels like it, right? No. <laughs> The last two two and a half days should be a, a stark reminder that, yes, things can go down. And, yes, that you should look at uh, risk in your portfolio. Bond yields are rising. The Fed's going to raise rates. It's time for stocks to cool down. That was a big story yesterday. And that kind of took care of itself. And it's one of those odd statements that the bond market policed itself. And as bond yields were ultimately moving from 2.7 to 2.8... And people started saying three, we got to the point where like we need to, to process. We need just a couple minutes here to process. Can we take a couple minutes to process? And as we do, um, you know, as as that ten year treasury creeps higher, and this was fantastic this morning. I was watching a little Bloomberg, watching a little CNBC overnight, and one analyst who is incredibly bearish was asking another analyst. Like, you know, if the 10-year treasury goes to what level, at what level do you buy the bond? And he goes, there's not going to be a level that it goes to in my lifetime. He goes, I'm, I'm 55, and, it, it, you know, it's not going to, you know, in my lifetime, it, the 10-year treasury is not going to go to a point that, that I'm going to buy bonds over at stocks. 
And the guy goes, at what level? At what level? And they started fighting with each other. And that just shows you that some people are hypersensitive to the 10-year treasury bond. And some people are, I'm going to say, apathetic. Um, you know, at somewhere around 35 4.5%, I would say, you know, I will add some bonds in my portfolio. Historically, that has paid off. That's when stocks tend to underperform. But recently, we've seen the 10-year treasury, um, it's a haven. It's a safety place. The more you buy it, the lower it goes. So recently, in the last um, few months, we've seen, or in the last year, we've seen the 10-year treasury go from 2%, 2.06% back in September of 2017, all the way up to 2.78. It got as high as 2.85. Now, again, as it creeps higher, you're going to see people sell stocks because there's a fight somewhere in between, you know, at what point do you want to put money there? At what point do you say the stock market's too expensive and I'm going to blow it up on some safety? Um, it's a conversation that, again, these two analysts were fighting with each other, and, and he goes, how about 7%? And the guy goes, yeah, I'd, I'd do 7%, but we're not going to go there in my lifetime. <laughs> it's, they were fighting over a number, and it was pretty funny. It was pretty entertaining. But it shows you um, the scenarios. And I, I don't want to downplay the stock market. I don't want to downplay the drop, um, because that's insulting to you. I, I want to say, you know, it, it is a nice reminder that it can happen, um, that it happened in 2006 to 2008, and real estate went down too, that some assets are correlated. You know, did I feel less rich yesterday by the end of the day? I did. Did it bum me out? No. And did it create buying opportunities? Yes. This morning I was, I was called into TV, and anytime I'm called into TV early or after the market, it's a sign that it's typically pretty good time to get into the market. Because my bosses in TV, they know sexy stories. And the largest point drop in one day is a sexy story. It's not even close in the top 10 to the largest percentage drops. That's a story to me if it's a large percentage drop. So S&P 500 is now down. It was up 7.5% in January. And if you take a look at it now, where it is now, after that 10% quick correction, and what I'm telling you, 10% quick, it went from 5, 6, then 7, 8, 9, 10, fast. Um, and they came back down, but we did get it in there, and, and that's super positive. Um, right now, I think, um, let's see, if I were to guess, let's see, I'm trying to pull up where the S&P 500 is today. Um, it's up half of 1% at this point in time, so mathematically, we're down fractions for the year. That's not bad. Down one, uh, two-thirds, uh, one-third of a percent. And we had a whoosh. Now, are we going to go back down on a whoosh? I don't know where today goes. Some people are probably going, you know, let's, let's load up on shorts. Let's load up on shorts. But it was stunning yesterday, and I hope you in some way appreciate the awesome power of it. What transpired on Monday was technical, mechanical, and psychological. From my vantage point, it flew in the face of what a healthy correction should be. A healthy correction should take months, maybe even years to grind down and, and to find its level, to move back up and then to grind back down and to hold that level, to move back up and then to grind back down and hold that level. We, we learn nothing. There's some semblance of a, a mini flash crash, even though it wasn't. But from 12 o'clock, to, I guess, to 1230, uh, wow. It was the worst price action in the literal sense, but to, to a larger point, it was the worst thing for people who got in the market. Just like if you got into Bitcoin in January, 
You're like, oh man, what did I get myself into? So there was a lot of programmatic, programmatic selling that showed the perils of the market that's been inundated with clever-sounding ETFs, some of which blew up like bombs yesterday. Um, there is a lose, a can't-lose mentality, and a can't-lose mentality is the worst thing in the world to have. There's speculation about margin calls this morning. The market opened down big, and then it stabilized, and then it moved higher. Foreign markets were weak around the world, and they're probably going to be stronger today uh, as the day goes on, as the world markets start to open up. We got better than expected guidance from Micron. We got better than expected earnings from GM, Tapestry, Cummins, Arch Daniel Midland. We're back in business, ladies and gentlemen. Technical, mechanical, and psychological. Did you play into any of that? We've had a great 13 months. We've had a bad month. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. U.S. trade deficit rises to a nine-year high. Stocks whipsaw from losses to gains. Bitcoin tumbling again. Poor Bitcoin. I don't feel bad for I don't feel bad for you, little Mario coin. Um, how bad is Bitcoin? Let's take a quick look. I just saw it a little earlier. Uh, I think under six thousand. Oh, there it is. Uh, Bitcoin plunges below six thousand, discrediting the theory that it would be a safe haven. Cryptocurrency is not acting as a store of value during the U.S. market sell-off. Now, that sell-off did a big whoosh down this morning, and then it started moving the markets higher. Bitcoin's latest decline shows it's quite correlated to major financial assets, and when people feel poor, they sell something to buy something. Bitcoin has become increasingly touted as an uncorrelated value store of value, but it's not. That's what we've learned so far. Now, if Bitcoin can hold and, and go sideways for a couple weeks and, again, put in a bottom and then go back up and put in a bottom, uh, when short sellers were able to get into Bitcoin, they kind of, I'm not going to say they played you, but it feels like they kind of played you. So that's all I'm throwing out there. Um, let's see. A couple other things I want to throw out there because I'm going to talk to you all morning about um, the big flash thing that happened yesterday <laughs> yeah no doubt right best buys can stop selling cds and if you've been at a best buy recently you walk over to the cd area and you're like wow what are these things because if you've got apple music or, apple or spotify you're like you're probably saying i'm good so best buy is going to stop selling cds and it's kind of like do you remember buying cassette tapes <laughs> like you get this big long perpendicular um, box and it was like 90% cardboard and 10% CD or cassette. So at one point, in, at one point in time, Best Buy was the most powerful music merchandiser in the U.S. But gone. It's about 40 million dollars of business a year for um, Best Buy, and they need to open up that space to sell other goods. So that's out there. So let's talk markets more. Let's talk, you know what happened yesterday 
Um, that was crazy. The CBOE Volatility Index, which is also known as the VIX, it measures the volatility of options in the S&P 500. Um, there was a strategy called shorting volatility, shorting vol, in trader lingo, which was close to a sure thing in the record low volatility. We didn't have a, a down 3% move for 12, 13 months, and then suddenly we did. And people were like, this is easy money. It's not going to go down 3%. This is easy money. It's not going to go down 3%. It's easy money. It's not going to go down 3%. So there was an investment product that you could say, I don't think it goes down 3%. And you put $100 into it. Yesterday, you lost 80% of that. Whoa. If the placidity is disturbing, or the placidity, if that calm, we're not going down, we're just moving ever so slightly up. And every time it goes down, we go ever so slightly back up. So when that placidity is disturbed, when the rock is thrown in the pond, the volatility jumps as the volatile short sellers have to scramble to cover at a loss. And yesterday, when you go from down 400 to down 1,600 in a matter of 30 minutes, they got routed. This is probably the biggest one-day route in something that looks to be safe. An ETN, Velocity Shares Daily Inverse VIX Short Term, it collapsed 80%. It's gone. Speculators are gone. There's nothing left of it today. Um, you know, back in 1987, the really, really big crash. Um, 22% in one day. You know, 4% in one day is nothing. It's not nice, but it's nothing compared to 22% in one day. Um, the same thing happened where people were like getting protection. They were buying protection in the form of put options or index futures. And at times when you do that, when there's hell to pay, you get wiped out. And there's very rarely hell to pay. Now, again, we're not going to go too far into this. And we're not going to, you know, get kind of crazy about it. There's always going to be warning signs. And, like, what I'm worried about right now is probably different than what you're worried about. I'm worried about a trade war with China. Um, And we're setting ourselves up for one. I'm worried about the 10-year Treasury moving up to 3%. And people saying, you know what? 3% is not a bad return. I'm old. 3% sounds pretty good to me. When you're getting 0% in a bank, that's, that's pretty good. Trump's campaign promises to reduce trade and enact protectionist policies have seen emerging markets' assets plunge only to recover as global growth expectations were revised higher. So the world needs the U.S. to basically buy their goods. And China, Brazil, and India will point out positives that, you know, uh, we could do it for cheaper than you could do it. And if we could do it for cheaper than you could do it, that means your consumers could buy it for cheaper than if you did it in America. If Nikes are made in America, they're going to be $200 a shoe versus $100 a shoe. That's the thought. Now, Nike's been scrambling for years and years and years to get machines to do more and more and more of the work. And this is a joke I used to say. Those little Indonesian fingers could put together shoes pretty darn well. And it's a joke. But um, that's part of what I'm facing right now. Volatility is still high. Taking a look at the markets, you know, uh, I'm not saying we're out of the woods. 10% correction in two days isn't good enough for me. I need a 10% correction that will go six months to get you and your mama to stop buying stocks. To get you and your mama to be afraid. Like... uh, I need real estate to go down. I was looking at a house yesterday that's been on the market for six months. Um, I need to be on the market for you know nine months. That's when that seller starts to panic. 
they've wanted out of it for a long time and they've still had to make nine more months of mortgage payments. And they're like, I don't want to do this forever. I stopped using the property. I don't, you know, I now live in Phoenix or something like that. That's when you start seeing reductions. So six months of inventories in real estate's healthy. Um, a stock market that's up for eight years straight is not healthy. It's like even real estate right now. I was looking at some articles yesterday, some research that basically said the wage inflation versus the home price inflation. The home price inflation is doubling up the wage inflation. That's not healthy in the long term. So the healthiest thing you can do when you're sick sometimes is to vomit. If you've got an upset stomach, get stuff out. If you're if you're drunk from you know too much alcohol or too much sugar, get the stuff out. Vomit. That's what the market did yesterday. Vomiting is good. It's, it's a way of purging poison from your body. Ah. It's a way of purging something that shouldn't be in there. Um, same thing with a down market. It's, it, it feels like it's vomiting. I know it's a graphic ex- expression. It's good. It's getting some weak hands out, and some people were making some stupid bets. And then margin hit an all-time high last year. And then January was one of the greatest months I've ever seen. Uh-uh. I'm okay with a, a down market. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in. Rob Black and Your Money. Joining me now, Patrick O'Hare, briefing.com. Mr. O'Hare, what happened? What a crazy Friday, Monday, Tuesday morning. Right. Well, you know, good morning to you this morning. Yep. Um, and, you know, the what happened and the why is, is a le- are legitimate questions that should be on everyone's mind. And, and the answers, I don't know if the answers will be fully satis- satisfying, frankly. I mean, the market uh, did something uh, fairly stunning yesterday that certainly caught a lot of people by, by surprise, you know, me included. Um, you know, it, it even had some semblance of being a you know a mini flash crash if you will uh, as we watched the Dow Jones Industrial Average you know lose well 1600 points at one juncture but that was the culmination of a of a you know moment where it dropped about 800 points in you know a span of just a few minutes um, I was trying to write some commentary about what was going on in the market and when I uh, uh, started it the Dow was down about 3.2% um, and before I could put the last period on it, um, and it wasn't a long commentary, we were down 6.3%. So, you know, I think in a moment like that, you do take a step back and you have to ask that question, you know, what did happen and why did it happen? And and the one answer I think that is satisfying here, though, is that it wasn't truly fundamentally driven, right? Um, you know, there was no piece of fundamental news that would necessitate or warrant that type of, of price action. Um, you know, you had interest rates actually move lower yesterday. Uh, and they were down a little bit before the selling intensified, but they certainly went down much further as the panicky selling hit, you know, kicked in. You know, the earnings news continued to be good. And then you had the ISM non-manufacturing PMI report uh, showing its strongest reading in January since August of 2005. Um, so that was all good. Um, so we, our assessment of matters is that really you had a, a confluence of technical, mechanical, and psychological forces in play yesterday that really exacerbated the losses, um, and uh, and you saw some you know 
massive selling that was driven really by uh, what I call groupthink moving the other way, uh, uh, you know, moving away from what it was in January where groupthink was all good and everyone was chasing the gains higher. You know, what we've seen over the past few days demonstrates that markets go down a lot faster than they go up, you know, when that uh, music stops and groupthink moves the other way in a lot of concentrated positions. It's interesting because I was at lunch and you talked about how quickly you wrote an article and by the end of it, it was down more. I was taking bites of salad down 800, another bite of salad down 900, another down 1,000. I was like, I'm going to stop eating salad. Something's not. And then everyone around me is like, they know I'm a stock guy. They're like, what's this all about? Is it all about algorithms? I'm like, it's probably a lot of things. It's going too fast, though. Um, is it, or should we be afraid of the machines? Should we be afraid of algorithms? Should we be afraid of ETNs and ETFs, of some of the group think, and then some of the computer think that's going on right now, too? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it is a warning shot uh, when you've got a lot of, you know, algorithm-based trading uh, in all of these very, you know, quote, clever strategies aimed to mitigate uh, volatility and risk. And, uh, and one of those strategies just blew up, you know, significantly yesterday, which was to short volatility. You know, volatility had been uh, low for so long, um, the level of complacency and the idea that it was going to stay low was just, um, you know, blown out of the water yesterday. And, you know, one of our uh, traders who works on the Briefing Trader product uh, theorized that, you know, what's happened in terms of the, the losses, you know, in, uh, over the last couple of days probably wiped out what, you know, any short volatility strategy earned over the last 20 months, you know. So, um, so you have these things that, you know, there's mechanical aspects to that selling. Stop-loss orders get triggered, and then it just keeps moving lower and lower, and, uh, and then pretty soon I think it just leads to this psychological uh, concern that um, – other strategies are at risk, and no one wants to be left holding the bag if this thing's going to crack and you know and really fall apart. But it is in markets like that, though, where you know opportunities do present themselves. Uh, this again, you know, if you look at the fundamental condition of the market, um, it's still reasonably good. And I know that that doesn't resonate for a lot of listeners <laughs> today uh, in the aftermath of what transpired yesterday. But it is a you know the fact of the matter. I mean, interest rates have gone up, but they are still low on a historical basis. You know, the ten-year note yield at two point seven five percent is still roughly about a hundred basis points lower than its twenty-year average. Right, earnings growth is about as strong as it's ever been, uh, and for the full year two thousand eighteen, you know, S P five hundred earnings are expected to be up seventeen percent. That's obviously tremendous. Um, you're seeing a pickup in economic growth around the globe. That's all good. But uh, the inflection point that the market is hitting here is uh, oftentimes at this juncture, what's good for the economy isn't necessarily good for the stock market. And that's due to the fact that a strengthening economy invites rising inflation expectations, which in turn invites concerns about you know, the Fed tightening and perhaps tightening too much to, uh, you know, basically to close off this this economic recovery. And so um, that's why, um, you know, we suggested going into this year that, um, the, that interest rates were going to be such a 
seminal factor in driving and dictating the market's direction in 2018, and, and will be a, you know was going to be a real contributor to a pickup in volatility this year. Um, you know, I would be misleading you if I said that we were calling for a pickup in volatility like we saw, you know, yesterday or uh, even in through the first, you know, month here in, uh, or so into the new year. But, you know, that aside, and we did think that when you get to these inflection points with economic activity and uh, and the stock market, uh, you're going to see uh, increased volatility. And so things could settle down here over the next few days. But I think the warning shot has been fired that this could be a pretty uh, roller coaster type year. Good to know. Um, if I can get your brief um, things, I, I keep telling people, look at the jobs number. Unemployment's at a, basically not an all-time low, but pretty close. Wage growth may be spiking up a little bit, but not a lot. But it's okay. It's not bad. And I'm like, it's going to be okay. When you start seeing companies fire people or lower their earnings expectations, then you start to worry on a short-term event. But the market doesn't go down more than three years in a row. And if I'm 75, I'm worried. If I'm 45, it's a buying opportunity. You know, uh, we were down 3% on Friday. We're down 10% on Monday. And to me, down 10% is better than down 3% because I'm still youngish and I got time to max out my 401k in situations like that. Is that the right approach to take? Yeah, you know, I think it absolutely is, and there's plenty of history to suggest uh, that, you know, the stock market's a great wealth generator. Um, it's just at moments like this, it's it's really hard to um, remember that for a lot of people. Um, and we talked last week that I was concerned about, you know, millennials in particular just getting back into this market uh, at, you know, record highs, feeling that, you know, that they need to be part of this, and then uh, I was worried about the, the the trust that would erode in the event you get you know a major setback, uh, certainly like the one we saw over the last few days, and, and so I, I do grow concerned a little bit about you know millennials and and you know younger investors thinking that the stock market just is uh, you know a rigged outfit really. Um, not to say everyone is always above board playing in the stock market, but uh, the vast majority of you know participants in the stock market, the overwhelming majority of participants in the stock markets are on the up and up, and certainly it has been a great wealth generator uh, through the years, and, and you do have to uh, you know, take a step back at a moment like this and, and look at companies that are just really good, solid companies um, You know that uh, have been... Uh, gifted to you in a way with uh, major setbacks like this. I referred yesterday to, um, I was trying to make a joke, because that's what I tried to do, is I try to make things entertaining, infotaining. The Empire Strikes Down the Wookiee, and the Wookiee being a play on the term rookie, the websites of robo-advisors Wealthfront and Betterment, which create low-cost automated portfolios, crashed yesterday. So it feels to me like a lot of young people who are new to the market like to predict, like, hey, Bitcoin's going higher, I'm going to jump in, and then when Bitcoin goes lower, they jump out. It feels to me like the under-30s who like to jump in and jump out started jumping out yesterday, and um, I just advise them not to go on second stories or higher buildings, because this just doesn't feel that bad. This doesn't feel like a financial crisis to me. Well, it's 
funny you say that, Rob, because we, you know, we have some younger employees working at Briefing.com, and they were asking me, you know, does this scare you, you know, in a way? And I was like, well, you know, it's obviously not a good thing, but relative to what we saw unfold in the financial crisis, this is nothing. You know, this is, um, that was a true fundamental dislocation in the market. Uh, This one, like I said, is more psychological, technical, and mechanical in nature at this juncture. That's not to say you couldn't get a fundamental crack as we move through this year, Um, but at this juncture, uh, it's not a fundamentally based sell-off, other than perhaps you have, you know, certainly some marginal concerns about some stretch valuations, which, uh, you know, come home to roost on a day like like yesterday. But all in all, given where interest rates are, the market isn't excessively overvalued, and uh, certainly given where earnings growth is and expected to be, uh, again, you know, the market is, is not excessively overvalued. Um, so, um, you know, so you just you know have to take stock of those types gotcha. of things, and maybe just take a step back here and stick to the sidelines for a few days and let things settle out. Thanks for your help. You're the best. Um, great insights. I will convey your messages, but people should check out briefing.com. I start my day every day with page one with briefing.com. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. Oh, very, 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 very interesting stuff, right? Trump had some quotes and the market going up. U.S. stock market up almost 20 cents percent since election, he tweeted out in July. In August, he goes, stock market at an all-time high. That just doesn't happen. In December, he tweeted out, stock market is poised for another year of success. January 20th, unprecedented success for our country in so many ways since the election record stock market. You get the idea. Whenever the market goes up, he takes credit. He's been quiet in February. People tend to, like, personalize things, and they tend to deflect when things go down. It's always something else. If you can't take the pressure, don't go for the glory. With that being said, I don't believe in capitalism. I don't go for the glory. I just go for capitalism. Um, I feel good with deregulation. I feel good with tax cuts. I feel good with... Um, valuations are a little high, but earnings are a little bit higher, and that favors this. But yeah, we're going to have another recession at some point in time. It will happen. It's just not going to happen in the first six months of 2018, in my opinion. Um, Just throwing that out there for you. Uh, Let's get the opinion of CFP Chad Burton. And look, what we've seen is that Companies are saying, okay, we're going to get an increase in corporate or a decrease in our corporate taxes. And we need to front run this. We need to say, okay, if we're not going to do well in this administration, if we don't invest in the U.S., including in our employees. So you're seeing companies raise wages. So if you have a decrease in a corporate tax from 35% down to 22%, the market was almost anticipating that all of that was going to go to the bottom line for shareholders. And an increase in earnings and or big cash dividend payouts, buybacks, and things like that. And so it was a little bit, so you had a lot of people just saying, oh, I'm piling into this market, I'm buying ETFs in the form of SP 500 indexes, Dow indexes, things like that. And so it was just a little bit of a, a reality check here. If there was an imminent recession, you could be worried, but there's really not. So have your shopping list ready. This will continue into today. You might even have this thing drop and then turn around by the end of the day. Who knows? I don't know. Nobody knows. 
you're, you're having certain ETFs that try to trade in volatility, like the VIX index or inverse ETFs, blowing up right now because it was the first test of volatility. You have certain things that uh, kind of popped up on the market with low volatility over the years, over the last year, that is now being tested in an actual pullback. Um, so, again, we, this is kind of like 2010, but it feels more like 1996-ish time frame when the global economy is actually doing really, really well. Now, there's always that black swan event that people don't talk about that causes those 20% corrections. We're already all talking about North Korea. We're already talking about inflation fears. All of that's known in the market. So, typically, what causes the major pullbacks is stuff that you're not thinking about. And again, it's not the time to sell. When the fear level is high, that's when you buy. When everybody's talking about how good things are, that's when you sell. Look at cryptocurrency at 20000 on Bitcoin. Every single internet ad, every single Facebook post that I saw, everything Instagram of people pumping cryptocurrencies at 20000 on Bitcoin is now under 7000 so when everybody's talking about how good something is, that's when you should get a little bit weary. But when the fear level is, gets really, really high, that's when you should buy. It's the case. You have to do opposite of what your, your uh, gut is kind of telling you um, and stick with a strategy. Okay, again, there's typically three 5% corrections every year on average. If you look at the stock market from 1900 to today, three 5% corrections a year. And you typically get one 10% correction every year. Now, rebalancing is important, but timing the market is absolutely stupid. It is a fool's game. Because typically what happens is if you even get out at the right time, you have to make that second call of when to get in at the right time. And during that entire period, let's say it's a somewhere between a two to five year peak down to the trough, back up to the peep, peak, you're missing out on dividends and interest that typically are about 3% a year that you could be pulling in using that to either live off of if you're retired or buying more shares at all time market lows if you're still building your wealth. If you would have stayed fully invested, here's, there's a whole bunch of studies, but typically if you stay fully invested over a long period of time, if we go back like 100 years, I think the term is you stay fully invested, you end up with about a 9.85% annualized rate of return. If you miss the 10 best trading days, you end up with only a 6% rate of return. If you miss the 20 best trading days in the market, a 3.62% rate of return. Guess what? The best trading days typically come after the worst trading days. So, but the worst thing you can do is trade into a scenario like this unless you're buying stocks with a time horizon of five plus years. So, the people I feel most bad for are the people who got in the market for the first time. And that's worthy of note that they lost a lot of trust in the last, you know, 40 days. The market was going higher, the market was going higher, the market was going higher. Woohoo, I can't lose mentality. I'm subdued. And then the market whooshed down. Now, does that mean the market goes higher again? The one thing that I really bugs me is that we didn't... Market bottoms aren't made in one day. So all this was was a, a spike in volatility. It's a good thing on some levels. It's a bad thing on others. Um, there's a lot of risk in ETFs. 
um, that people suddenly woke up to. And that's okay. And that's, I think that's a good thing. I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, traders love this event because they make money on volatility, not on being passive. So Wall Street professionals love this. Um, I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Questions? Drop them to Rob at robblackshow.com. Rob at robblackshow.com. Come to an event. I got one coming up in March. You can learn more about it by going to robblackshow.com. Robblackshow.com. Use code radio25 to get in for free. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.